The title of my message this evening is, Is This the End? I have discovered that there comes a time in a person's life that their personal perspective is clouded by their personal expectations. Let me say that again. There will come a time in a person's life where their personal perspectives is clouded by their personal expectations. Therefore, not allowing them to truly see what is right before them or to know what is taking place right before them. And so often people will jump to wrong conclusions based upon the interpretations that are clouded through the skewed perspectives in which they have. I say this to you this evening because I believe this to be true when it comes to people's understanding of God. Many people have drawn conclusions based upon personal perspectives that have been clouded by their personal expectations of Him. Now I realize that I begin with abstracts. And I would ask that you would allow me to paint for you the picture and the portrait that the scriptures lay out for us this day that we remember as the world remembers the day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was crucified there outside the city of Jerusalem. And if the opening premise could be placed upon any circumstance or situation, I would say for certain that each and every individual had a difficult time understanding what they were witnessing and seeing that day as they saw this man carrying the cross down the Via Della Rosa there in Israel, leading himself out to be hung between two thieves, a man that had gripped the entire society for three years, and they waited with bated breath and anticipation, could this be the one that we have waited for for so long, and how could it end like this. And there's no doubt in my mind that all who saw that day, the words crept up in their mind, these four words, is this the end? Is this the end? Is this the end? For there in Jerusalem, the events of the last week leading up to this moment, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, shook the entire city of Jerusalem to its core. From the corridors of power to the most lowliest soul there within the city limits. From the fiercest adversary of Jesus Christ to the loyalest disciple, follower of Christ, they were shaken to the core by the events that transpired and worked up to the moment that led to their crucifixion. Let's look back with me to the beginning of that week. For three years, a man, a young man, has been combing the countrysides, followed by thousands, challenged by the religious leaders at numerous times. He now makes his way into Jerusalem, not in pomp and circumstance, but presenting himself in complete and utter humility, riding on the back of a donkey, being greeted by the people there in Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna, as they throw palm branches before the feet 
of the animal in which he rode upon. As he made his way into the temple area, the disciples waited with bated breath. Would this be the moment that the religious leaders finally recognize this to be our long-awaited Messiah? Even though Jesus told them numerous times that he would be rejected, that he was going to be rejected, and that he was going to be put to death. Coming into the temple, he wasn't greeted with psalm and with song. He was greeted by greed. Where then he took the tables of the money changers and began to throw them up. And he began to clear out the merchandising of the sacrifices that were meant to mean something to the people who were offering them unto God completely disturbing the economic system that the religious leaders had corruptly established. And then he took the people by storm as he formed a whip and began to clean out the money changers, chasing them out. And after doing so, he sat down and began to teach the people. And they led and they came to him one by one, those who were lame, those who were blind. And Jesus healed them one right after another, giving sight to those who were blind, giving sight to those who were blind, seeing, letting people see for the first time who could see no further and no longer. Then we come to the point where he was challenged again by the religious leaders and as he continuously taught the people concerning his true identity and who he was and pointing their way to God and pointing their way to himself. And they missed it. They would not accept it. The religious leaders challenged him at every single point. They contended with him at every single doctrinal turn in which he taught the people. And the religious leaders then began to see and to discover that the only way to stop such a movement was to plot against it. And they began to plot earnestly, deciding how they were going to take care of this individual. For in their mind, he was nothing more than a a false prophet that had risen up in his own name. One who was not respected by the corrupted leadership of Israel at that time. One who was often uh, terrifying to the religious leaders because of the number of people that followed him often wanting to put him to death earnestly through the course of the three years, unable to do so because of their fear of the people. Now they were plotting, and this was their opportunity. And as the week came to a close, he moved the scene to the upper room where there he had Passover with his disciples and the greatest act of humility ever demonstrated in the scriptures takes place as Jesus begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Leading them in the Last Supper. Preparing them for his departure. Afterwards, leading him out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he simply asks his disciples to pray with him, but they were unable to do so and fell asleep, knowing that behind the curtain, behind the scenes, Judas was in the process of his betrayal that would end with a kiss. And in that moment that Jesus was alone with his heavenly Father, 
he cried out, shedding tears of blood, submitting himself to the Father like no other example in all of the Bible, one who says, Lord, Father, if there be any way that this cup can pass from my hands, let it be so, but if not, not my will be done, but your will be done. And shortly after that, after the kiss of betrayal, his arrest takes place. And Peter, the most fervid and loyal of the disciples, followed from a distance, being told that he would deny the Lord and denying completely that he would ever deny the Lord, followed from a distance only to find himself in three different places in which he denies the Lord. And on the third one, the scripture tells us that after his denial, his eyes connects with his saviors at a distance breaking Peter's heart and sending Peter to a place of repentance and remorse. Jesus, after his arrest, was then taken to seven different trials. Again, the perspective of the people clouded by their expectations missed what was actually transpiring at each one of the seven different trials in which Jesus faced From their perspective, they saw one who has been completely rejected by the religious leaders, one who has been uh, now found guilty by the religious leaders, one who is now found in subjection to the religious leaders, when in actuality all seven of those trials pointed to his innocence each and every time. And when he was asked directly, are you the son of God? He says, you have said so. He was first brought before Ananias, the father-in-law of the high priest. And Ananias, preparing him for his trial before the high priest, asked him concerning the disciples, how many followers do you actually have? Undoubtedly wanting to know how many of the insurrection could they possibly prepare for. Asking Jesus about his doctrine. The teachings that he rendered as he spent time abroad and within the temple. And Jesus stated, I have spoken openly. Nothing I have spoken, I have spoken in secret. At that moment, he was struck by a guard for being disrespectful to the high priest. And Jesus asked him, for what evil do you strike me for? From Ananias, he went to Caiaphas, the actual high priest at the time. Caiaphas looking for witnesses, but finding none, could only set up false witnesses to testify against him. However, the testimony of those false witnesses were so confusing and so contradicting that they were rejected openly. People started shouting out from the crowd his guilt and what they thought that they had heard and what they thought that they had seen, but it just became a confusing mess. And Jesus stood there silently, And then they asked him directly, Caiaphas asked him directly, are you the son of God? And I'd like to read to you Jesus' answer. It's found in Mark 14, 62 through 65. And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? 
You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? Caiaphas asked. And they all condemned him as deserving death. But some began to spit upon him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. After his guilt being determined by these corrupt religious leaders, he was then sent to the Sanhedrin, number three. And their decision was to put him to death, but they themselves found themselves impotent to do so. For Rome had taken the privilege of capital punishment away from the religious leaders because of their occupation, and therefore they were incapable of putting Jesus Christ to death, so he must be brought before Pilate. And Pilate saw Jesus, and Jesus was brought before him for the charge of treason, claiming to be the king of the Jews. And Jesus did confirm his authority and royalty before Pilate, and then lay silent. Pilate at that moment wanted Herod to deal with it discovering that the jurisdiction that Herod had, who was a mere puppet king of Israel at that time, he sent Jesus to Herod, and Herod welcomed the opportunity. For he, for a long time, wanted to see and interact and hear Jesus and see the wonders and the miracles in which Jesus had performed. So he had Jesus brought before him. This is the king of the land. And Herod said, do the wonders and do the miracles for me. But Jesus will perform for no man. And he stood there silently. And so Herod, in his disgust and in his disappointment with Jesus sent him back to Pilate. And in this second exchange between Pilate and Jesus, a question is asked that still rings in the minds and in the hearts of each and every person today. It is a question that is so fundamental to our existence that people who ask the question are often deferred in their answer rather than acknowledging the reality of the answer. At the end of Pilate's inquisition and interrogation of Jesus Christ, he is asked one simple question. What is truth? Listen to the the way Luke describes this. I should say John, excuse me. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king, hey? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked the question that so many are wrestling with today. What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and say, and told them, I find no guilt with him. Six trials have transpired, and each and every time, Jesus is found innocent of all of the uh, formulated and constructed charges against him. 
Again, from the people's perspective, this was a blow to everything that they had encountered over the last three years. They thought for sure that the moment he rode into Jerusalem, he would be recognized by the religious leaders. He would then be placed on the throne, which is truly and rightfully his, and yet they rejected him. And now they're even questioning their own understanding of all the events that transpired over those last three years. And isn't that so true about you and I? How quickly we forget. How often we run into difficult circumstances and those difficult circumstances challenge us to the core. Those circumstances then try to redefine the history that preceded us, or I should say succeeded us, And we forget those things that God has done. How often have we all done that? How often have we faced difficulty as an individual and at that moment of the difficulty when things don't seem to be going the way we hope and desire for them to go, we have a tendency to lack faith, lack trust, when in actuality it's at that moment that we should remember each and every time in the past that God showed himself strong. They were challenged to the core at this point. Their perspectives were clouded by their expectations. And all they could conclude were these four words. Is this the end? Is this it? Finally, Pilate, not willing to uh, proclaim him guilty stated to the religious leaders after they pressured him further. After this, he had said to them, John writes for us, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The idea now comes to the people. The people now have to determine the guilt or innocent of Jesus Christ. And because their expectations were not fulfilled, those who had cried seven days earlier that beautiful word, Hosanna, rightfully so, are now crying Barabbas. Because their personal perspective was clouded by their personal expectations. And even at this point, Pilate did not want to sentence him. Pilate was terrified of what was happening before him. But yet the religious leaders so forcefully moved Pilate politically, saying that, Pilate, if you allow this man to go free, you are no friend of Caesar's. For we only desire Caesar as our king. The religious leaders, the disciples, the people, all had a personal perspective clouded by personal expectation and they couldn't see what was transpiring right before their eyes. Listen to how John records this moment for us. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered and said to him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to be 
uh, ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters and again said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or the authority to crucify you? At that moment, Jesus answered and looked up at him and stated this. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself A king opposes the authority of Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stove pavement. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered in the final act of rejection and rebellion against God. We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to be crucified. And in that moment, he was then taken out. A beam was placed across his shoulder as he began his procession to the Mount of Skull, the area of called Golgotha, Calvary, where he would be hung between two thieves. And at that moment, the crowds jeered at him, thinking, is this the end? The religious leaders mocked him, saying, this is the end. The disciples scattered and asked, is this the end? The soldiers casted lots for his clothes because this is the end. And in that final moment of his time on the cross, as we pick it up in our text in verse 45, we read, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Jesus Christ was placed upon the cross, early in the morning, at the sixth hour being noon, and then from noon to the ninth hour, which was our three o'clock in the afternoon, there occurred something there on the hill of Golgotha that had never taken place before. At the peak of the height of the sun of the day, the whole land grew dark until the ninth hour for three hours. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, in the Arabic language, I add, Eli, Eli, lemna shabachnii. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, is this man calling for Elijah? And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it to a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other says, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Not understanding, of course, that he wasn't saying Elijah. He was saying, Eli, my God. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. 
their perspective was wrong because it was clouded by their personal expectations. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielding up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were risen. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into this holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, This truly was the Son of God. Within these words, we have some significant things for us to consider. Again, all who were peering on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, again, understanding that their personal perspective clouded by their personal expectations. The religious leaders were threatened by his humility, thinking that they were going to be displaced by this radical carpenter from Nazareth. This couldn't possibly be the weighted procession of the throne of David, the one, the king that was going to restore Israel to his zenith. The religious leader said, no way. He is not of our cut of cloth. He is not of our quality. He is not of our stature. He is not of our society. There is no way we will accept him. One born in a barn. One who is an itinerant preacher who had nowhere to lay his head, no house, no wealth. The disciples saw him as the Messiah rightly, but all expected him to again become that heir of the throne of David and raise Israel to that new zenith of power and they them too, themselves being elevated beyond their station from being mere fishermen and, and so forth to being brought up in society to the cabinet of the king. Even the mother of two disciples came and petitioned for their son. We had lobbyists in the Bible. They were the disciples' mom. When you enter your kingdom, remember my son. One at your right hand, one at your left. Their personal perspective clouded by their personal expectation. And yet while all this is transpiring before them, the cheers and the jeers of the people, the mocking of the religious leaders, the scattering of the disciples, the soldiers that are casting lots for his clothes, many asking the question, is this the end? Transpiring before them in that three hour of darkness was a significant event that took place that if they only knew the value of it would have stood there in awe and come to the same conclusion as the centurion that this is truly the Son of God. In that time of darkness, we discover in the words of Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sins of the world were placed upon the the shoulders of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a separation, the only time the Son was separated from the Father, in a moment where the Father turned his head from the Son, he then gives us that famous words of Psalm 22. Reading Psalm 22, you get the actual perspective of Christ looking down from the cross and seeing much of what's transpiring before him. The separation from God at that moment. 
further in that darkness was the judgment of God as the wrath of God was poured upon his only begotten son rather than being poured upon you and I who radically deserved it. Why? Because seven times he was found innocent, wasn't he? And yet it was him hanging on that cross on our behalf, in our place. And then finally, as he dismisses his spirit... He cries out in a loud voice and John tells us what he cries specifically. He says, it is finished. The work that I have set to come to complete, I am now completing. The mission that I have been in, 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 in given, I am now completing on behalf of my Father. His will be done, not mine. He says, it is finished. It is finished. The ultimate payment for sin is finished. He then dismisses his his spirit. And then at that exact moment, the most confined place, the most segregated place, the most separated place, the holiest place on the entire earth that was guarded by a curtain that was extremely tall and extremely wide was torn from top to bottom, stating for all that access to God was possible and no longer limited. The earth shook. The ground quaked. Those who were nearest to him were in awe. And finally the centurion looks up and he states with these words, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. Today, so many of our perspectives are clouded by our personal expectations. Many of us Christians in America no longer truly understand the significance of the cross. And we, just like them, are looking upon this day with all different types of perspectives due to all different types of expectations. The reason that Christianity sets itself apart from every religion of the world is because of this one fact, that God himself stepped out of heaven, took the penalty penalty and the punishment for our sins upon himself that we may be spared these things. We cannot even consider three days later until we consider this day today. We as American Christians must realize what Jesus Christ went through in those three hours. The suffering in which he uh, took upon himself prior to that moment and then displayed in those three hours of darkness every individual who is not found in Christ at the end for all eternity will find themselves, number one, separated from God. Number two, they will find themselves under the weight of judgment of God. And number three, they will find themselves in a state of eternal death before God. Or you can come by faith to Christ and allow him to pay that penalty that has been set for you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us is rightfully guilty before a holy God. And on this day, let us not confuse 
the intentions of God with our personal expectation. God is not our divine butler. God is not there that I may approach him as I would approach a genie, rub the side of my Bible and waiting for him to appear to, to grant my wishes, okay? He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is the one who subjected himself to the most horrific aspect of God the Father's wrath and allowed us to be spared by grace. And then you know what he does? Not only does he adopt us, I'm sorry, not only does he atone for us, but then he adopts us. And we become child, children of God. And in Christ, every blessing that is in heavenly places is bestowed upon us. And we become heirs and joint heirs to him. And we become his kids. And God loves blessing his kids. He does. But let us not forget why we are here and why we are allowed such an extraordinary relationship with God. It is because of the cross. It is because of this day. It is because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I challenge you this evening to look past your personal perspectives that have been clouded by your personal expectations. Maybe you have concluded, you know, I don't know if God is there. I don't know if God cares. Is this the end? We are far from the end. It's not over until it's over. And it's completely up to him when he decides that to be. We're on the winning team. We've already won. The war is finished, but the battle rages. Let us not forget that we are not fighting for victory, we are fighting from victory as believers in Jesus Christ. And all of that is possible because of this day, the day in which Christ allowed himself to be subjected to his creation and crucified on our behalf.